Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis. And on this episode, I'm going to begin with a home invasion, a gruesome death of a sort of heiress, and the mistaken assumption, or is it, that her son killed her. Then, when a suspect is identified, he faces a judge in Broward County's courthouse so prosecutors can ask for the death sentence. And poof, suddenly he's able to remove his handcuffs, jumps the wooden railing of the jury box, sheds his black and white striped prison garb, which by the way identifies him as a maximum security prisoner, He gets by two bailiffs in the courtroom who are not armed. One grabs him, but he's able to get away. He runs down a stairwell in a white t-shirt and shorts, and then he busts out an unlocked door on the first floor of the courthouse, which does not have an alarm, but there is a security camera there that captures his escape, and as he runs to a waiting BMW and hops in. I'm calling this operation Rico Suave. Of course, this all happened in Broward County while our friend Scott Israel was the sheriff. You might recall Scott Israel was the sheriff who was then terminated by Ron DeSantis after the Parkland shooter shot up MSD High School. He was also the sheriff when Esteban Santiago got his gun from baggage claim, went into the bathroom and loaded it. A gun, by the way, that the FBI took away from him in Alaska because he said that he was hearing voices that told him to kill people. They gave it back to him. He flew with it to Fort Lauderdale, got it in baggage claim, went and loaded it in the bathroom, came out and shot five people in baggage claim dead, and then laid down on the ground and let BSO deputies arrest him. But two hours after that, the whole place was still on lockdown. People were still sitting on planes outside because it was such a nightmare. People were running on the tarmac. It was totally out of control. Yeah, that's the same Scott Israel. Apparently, there were 15 deputies at the courthouse at the time. They were all armed, but they were in a meeting when the alarm went off, signaling that an inmate had escaped. And by the time they scrambled, that inmate was gone. Here's Sheriff Scott Israel right after the murder suspect and escaped inmate, Deontay Rosiles, escapes from the Broward County Courthouse. What happened is uh, at about 9.30 this morning, Rosiles was brought... By, uh, from our, our prison to Judge Singal's courtroom, I think it was 4810. He was shackled appropriately as far as wearing a waist shackle. Whether or not he was secure, we'll find out as we investigate. Custody was given to the bailiffs within the courtroom who were unarmed civilians. He was put in a jury box with other folks. It came a point that he was dressed in black and white garb, which indicates that he's a maximum security prisoner. It came a point in time where he jumped up, escaped the courtroom. We've since found his black and white attire and the full shackles still cuffed and together. We believe we were set up within minutes to have a perimeter to isolate and contain. We believe he defeated the perimeter before we even got in place. We believe he exited through the north end of the courthouse. We've left no stone unturned. Every tactical unit I have available to me, the Fort Lauderdale Police Department, and all our assets and resources, our canine, our helicopters, our Marine Patrol, are looking for Mr. Rosiles. So the excuse that Scott Israel gave at the time of Rosiles' escape, even though there were 15 armed deputies in the courthouse, was that he was understaffed and that Broward County wasn't giving him enough money. We had today 15 people. I think we had 12 deputies, two sergeants, and a lieutenant on duty. That's 15 people. That not only covers the courthouse, but also covers the 540 building. Now, the county will tell you that's full staffing, and that is full staffing. 
but that's unacceptable and inappropriate staffing. We need additional people. And the county has to stop relying on their consultants, and they have to stop relying on how much money they could save. They have to rely on me and my staff to tell them what is needed. And then Sheriff Israel described the escape. From what I understand, as Rizal stood up and went to leap over the jury box, our bailiff grabbed him but wasn't able to detain him. He made his way out of the courtroom, and what happened there, uh, I certainly don't know at this time. So basically, you have a bailiff, Barney Fife, without a gun, in charge of a maximum security inmate who's in a courtroom for prosecutors to ask for the death penalty in his first-degree murder trial. The once was a deputy called Fife who carried a gun and a knife. The gun was all dusted, the knife was all rusty because he never caught a crook in his life. <laughs> so how did 20-year-old Deontay Rizales get here? Court records show Boca Raton police arrested him in 2014 for attempted burglary, grand theft, loitering, and prowling. He received a two-year prison sentence, and he was out on bond at the time of a murder that happened in Davie, Florida, at another high-end residence. Apparently, Rizal's M.O. was to go in and burglarize high-end homes. So let's start with the home invasion. 59-year-old Jill Halliburton Sue was home alone. Yes, you've heard of the word, the name Halliburton before. She's not the heiress of Halliburton, but her great-uncle founded the Halliburton Multinational Energy Corporation. Yes. And Halliburton certainly has been involved in numerous controversies, including the involvement of Dick Cheney as U.S. Secretary of Defense, then CEO of the company, and then Vice President of the United States and the Iraq War, and the Deepwater Horizon oil spill, that industrial disaster in the Gulf of Mexico in 2010, for which it agreed to settle outstanding legal claims against it by paying litigants $1.1 billion. Her husband's name, Nan Yao Su, he's an expert in termites, this guy. He actually uh, works for the University of Florida's Food and Agriculture Science Research and Education Center, and he developed the Centricon termite control product. So he's an expert in termites, so that's her husband. And then she also has a son who was 20 years old at the time, same age as Deontay Rosiles. So she was home alone when somebody broke into her home. Somebody broke through the back sliding glass door. But police say that the hole in the door was too small for someone to get through. So it's not clear how this person gained entry. Her son came home and he goes to his room and he finds that his knife drawer is open because he's like a hunter fisherman type and has a lot of knives. And then he goes in the bathroom and he finds his mom's body floating in the bathtub her face in the water, and the water is bloody. So he quickly picks up the phone, he calls 911, and he tells the operator that first, he thinks his mom has committed suicide. And then he starts looking at the body, and he sees that her hands and feet are bound. So he then tells the 911 operator, he thinks that she's been murdered. He believes that, that this is a murder and a burglary. And this opens a can of worms, because BSO detectives first believe that he killed his mom, who, by the way, on all accounts, was a lovely woman. 
She spoke often of her butterfly garden and love of home landscaping. She volunteered for years as a reader at the Insight for the Blind, a Fort Lauderdale nonprofit that produces audio recordings of books and articles for the visually impaired. And Jill stayed home with the kids while her husband worked. They attended Davie Public Schools. She was a dedicated classroom volunteer who listed her occupation as a folk artist and returned every summer to Ann Arbor, Michigan, where she'd grown up to exhibit her artwork, wood designs painted with smiling suns and inspirational sayings. I mean, and all you know, as they always say, just a, a lovely woman that lights up the room when she enters it. Now, before she died, she and her husband had gone to Malaysia, and while they were gone, Justin Sue, the son, threw a party which would be a focus of the investigation in the first days after the murder. Apparently, Justin had disabled the security cameras. In fact, police say security camera footage shows a white guy with a ski mask on disabling the cameras. Detectives were suspicious and questioned Justin Sue for hours, making it clear that he was a suspect and insinuating at one point that if he wasn't the killer, he was being framed, possibly by his father. The son's mistakes during his 911 call were explained by the stress of what he was experiencing. The layout of the bathroom made it possible for him to get his upper body wet while moving the victim, leaving his lower body dry, according to police. But... Blood on a belt used to bind the victim was tested for DNA, and nine days later, a match came, and it also matched blood found on the knife that was left lying on the welcome mat outside the home. And that blood led police to Deontay Rosiles. According to police, Rosiles had been arrested on burglary charges nine times before the Sioux murder. He never, never stole in the black community. He'll go out to the rich towns and probably hit a couple houses. Like, I agree with that. So, Rosiles was arrested for the crime on September 18th, 2014. And remember from last week's podcast, anyone in Florida who's arrested for a felony and also convicted of a felony must provide a DNA sample. And that sample is then put in the system, into CODIS. And Rosiles' DNA was in the system. Authorities say he killed the woman, Jill Halliburton Sue, September 8th, 2014. Police found her in her home with her hands and feet bound. She had multiple stab wounds. But did Rosiles kill her? Or was it the son? Justin Sue had grown up in a wealthy gated community, gone to the country's top high schools, and had gotten off with no permanent record after being caught with pot because he agreed to snitch on a friend. He was an avid fisherman and hunter, and he had an extensive knife collection and a rifle safe in the living room. And one of his knives, the folding Kershaw with the brown handle, was the murder weapon. But that wasn't the only reason that Justin looked suspicious. The day of the murder, Nan Yao had impulsively checked the house's security cameras from his desk at work, only to see a man wearing a ski mask covering them up. He said the man appeared to be young, thin, and white, he later told investigators. That described Justin, who admitted to police he sometimes covered the cameras when he held parties or just wanted to walk around the house naked and smoke pot. Sounds like Matthew McConaughey. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> so when Nan Yao called Justin to see if he was playing a prank, Justin told him that he was at work but would go home to check the cameras. 
But his story then would later change when he talked to police. He admitted he hadn't gone to the library and said that he'd been sleeping in his car in a parking garage at the Davie campus. So during the interrogation, he told police that he'd driven home and immediately gone to his room to drop off his keys and wallet. Then he noticed his knife drawer was open. Detective seized on that detail. Why hadn't he checked on his mom first? So when police arrived, Justin was covered in blood from the waist up. He said that he had hauled his mother out of the bathtub and tried to perform CPR, but he was perfectly clean from the waist down, and Davy police said that it was a sign that he might have tried to change his clothes. Can you imagine finding your mom dead in a bathtub, stabbed to death? It would be very, very upsetting, of course, to say the least. So... When the DNA came back and it linked to Deontay Rizal's DNA, the police called Justin and apologized. The sun was in the clear and the spotlight was now on Deontay Rizal's. So on September 18th, 2014, Deontay Rizal's was arrested. His girlfriend was pregnant and she was going to go have a sonogram that day that he was arrested. She woke up to the sound of her mother pounding on her bedroom door saying police were at their front door and they were there to arrest her boyfriend, Deontay Rizales, for murder. Now, after Rizales was charged with first-degree murder, Tiffany Roy, a former Massachusetts analyst who now works as a private forensics expert, blew the whistle on BSO's crime lab after discovering its technicians were falsely claiming certain types of DNA evidence were conclusive. Now, remember, we also learned that in last week's podcast about DNA that, uh, you know, it's not 100% slam dunk. The lab at the time was on the verge of losing its accreditation, and the state attorney's office had begun the process of reopening approximately 2,000 closed cases affected by the issue. And there were other problems with the case. No one had reported seeing Rizales at the house the day of the murder. Video footage from the guard gates didn't show him entering. And something else didn't make a whole lot of sense. Why would he break in and take nothing but aggressively stab the owner of the house before leaving empty-handed? The chances of that scenario happening are are low. And according to the Federal Bureau of Justice Statistics, strangers are responsible for only one-fifth of all murders. The bulk are committed by family members, intimate partners, and other acquaintances. But Rizales was a young black man with a burglary record, and society had long ago labeled him dangerous. I know my brother. Can't tell me that he's going to go in there and kill this lady because he don't want to catch a burglary or... My brother ain't never kidding. He's not even fighting. He wasn't even fighting. And it really didn't matter that he did not have any history of violence. And so, of course, you're going to argue that, hey, he escaped from the Broward County Courthouse. That proves he's guilty. You know, we had a man who's on trial for murder. The state attorney is seeking the death penalty. You know, it doesn't get more serious than that. In fact, the great escape elevated Rizal's from a routine murder defendant to the top of Broward County's most wanted list. He is armed and dangerous. We will look at every aspect of this escape. Six days later, around 11 p.m., multiple law enforcement agencies tracked Rizal's down about 50 miles north of Fort Lauderdale. In fact, about mm, a quarter mile from where I'm recording this podcast on 45th Street at the Days Inn Hotel on the first floor. According to detectives, a tip submitted to Crime Stoppers is what led law enforcement directly to Rizal's, who was alone in the hotel room. Here is Sheriff Scott Israel 
on the scene at the Days Inn at 11 p.m., 45th Street, when Rosiles was found. Deontay Rosiles is in custody. We received a tip today that led our SWAT team up to Palm Beach County, the area of I-95 and Northeast 45th Street to a Days Inn Hotel. After intense investigation, we uh, found out he was in a specific room working with the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office and the uh, West Palm Task Force. An outer perimeter was manned, an inner perimeter was manned, and our SWAT team ordered him out of the room. He came out of the room, he surrendered without incident, he laid on the ground, he allowed us to handcuff him, no force was necessary. As I said, he's back in custody and Broward County in South Florida is a safer place. Members of the Broward Sheriff's Office were relentless. They work nonstop. They're the most incredible public safety professionals I've ever been around. And because of them and their hard work and the leadership exhibited, Deontay Rosales is in custody. But former Sheriff Israel, it was because of your BSO deputies that Deontay Rosales a murder suspect escaped from the Broward County Courthouse. I think it pretty much reeks of an inside job. In fact, it was. A warrant unearthed the fact that Rosales used his Facebook account while in jail to coordinate his escape with a group of co-conspirators. And he did so by using a Broward Sheriff's deputy's cell phone. He said that he made multiple jailhouse calls to several accomplices before his escape. I think altogether there were nine people that helped him escape. Police also arrested Rosile's cousin, a 31-year-old, and an 18-year-old Paige Jackson. Police say that those two provided him with a wig and colored contacts to help disguise him. And according to Rosile's former defense attorney, apparently these employees would give their cell phones to other inmates in the Broward County Jail, and it was possible to buy a handcuff key while behind bars. Numerous types of contraband that deputies are selling to inmates, including handcuff keys, cell phones, drugs, pornography. It literally took a village to help this guy escape from the courthouse. An inmate, William Hart, allegedly helped shield Rosiles from view while they were in a holding cell before the court hearing, at which time Rosiles began to get out of his shackles because he had the handcuff key. Then four others, including Rosiles' girlfriend, who was pregnant when he was arrested, if you recall, were arrested for allegedly helping Rosiles escape by driving the getaway car to the courthouse and giving her boyfriend a change of clothes. This again, according to court documents, they're charged with escape and accessory after the fact to capital murder. And then a pair of juvenile twin brothers allegedly helped in the plot. They're accused of asking a bailiff whether Rosiles was scheduled to appear in court and then sat in court and allegedly gave Rosiles some sort of hand signal before the escape. And then documents say that one of them coughed into a cell phone to let the others know that the escape had begun. So BSO has made major changes in the new Broward County Courthouse. When maximum security inmates are moved for hearings, a deputy remains with the inmate before releasing him to an armed deputy in the courtroom, rather than handing an accused murderer over to an unarmed bailiff. Seems like Rosiles and company were a little better organized than BSO. Now there won't be room for any mistakes out there. One mistake is one too many. That badge means something. Don't any of you disgrace it. And of course, the community was relieved once Rosiles was captured. Relief is first and second. Just absolute terror in my heart as to what her last moments were like. 
So Moochie, which is Rizal's nickname, is still behind bars waiting for his first degree murder trial, but he says that he's been framed and set up that he did not kill Jill Halliburton Sue. He was also hit with 37 new conspiracy charges to go along with the 33 charges he was already facing after his escape. So, sir, you've been charged with an escape. You're also being held on several felony warrants. While you're in the custody of the Broward County Sheriff's Department, you're going to be isolated from the general population. I'm going to order that you be isolated and that your communications be limited only to communication with your attorney. Rosiles told a Broward County Circuit judge that he escaped to look for evidence to prove his innocence. And investigators who examined the phone he used during his six days on the run said it showed he watched pornography and news accounts of his escape and checked his social media pages. So this crazy story just got even crazier. It's back to square one for prosecutors after a mistrial was declared in the murder trial of now 27-year-old Deontay Rosiles. The Broward County judge this week in December of 2021, John J. Murphy III, declared the mistrial after one juror said that she did not find Rosiles guilty after the panel said that they had a verdict. So the whole fiasco led to this mistrial, and it started as the verdict was read. One juror objected and said that guilty was not her verdict. So the presiding judge said that, well, if you can't be unanimous, he would declare a mistrial, which he did. So Rosiles, as I told you, faced a possible death sentence if convicted of first-degree murder. And if he was convicted of manslaughter, which is what the jury found him guilty of this time, except for the one juror, he could have been sentenced up to 30 years in prison. So the judge set a new trial date for January 3rd to select a new jury for a retrial. I'll keep you updated on any upcoming court dates, but for now, that wraps up this episode of Full Rigor. Be sure to download and subscribe. Check me out on Instagram at Full Rigor Podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening.